Honored to be back with you at First Baptist Church Danville this morning, and a great time of worship. So thanks to the worship team for doing a great job. You're blessed to have high quality, and I was here a few years ago in revival, and I don't know how long it's been. It's been quite a while, but I don't expect y'all to remember me because I don't remember y'all much either. I, actually, I do some of you, and it was a great time of uh, fellowship and worship. And I was so impressed with the church when I was here, and still am. And uh, Daniel was a student pastor at that time. And so uh, uh, we love Daniel. Our staff thinks Daniel's one of the greatest guys in the world. And I have deep respect and admiration for him. So uh, such an honor to be here with you. Thank you for being a part of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. I get asked all the time, what is that? And uh, I don't really know how to tell you. It's just kind of something big. But let me try to tell you how we work. The way Arkansas Baptists and Southern Baptists work, we're a local church group. Our churches are totally, completely independent and autonomous. We chose to do church and denomination in a way that there's no top-down. We're just a bunch of loosely connected, independent, autonomous churches. But we cooperate together to do missions together and create mission synergy. Every now and then somebody says, well, are they a member of the Southern Baptist Convention, Arkansas Baptist Convention? Really, that's not even the right word. I see that on some of our documents, but we don't really have membership. You can say you're affiliated, but here's, here's the way it is. You're a total, complete, standalone church. And you cooperate with us in missions or you don't. That's all it is. You can't even say, I'm an Arkansas Baptist church. Not, there's no such thing as an Arkansas Baptist church. You're your church, and you work with us and cooperate with us. And so every now and then, you've got the Southern Baptist Convention coming up, and there's, there's always a lot of media hype about that. And so believe about half of what you read. Uh, sometimes I give interviews, and I'm like, did, did y'all talk to me? <laughs> you know, that's not what I said. So I've, we've almost started, for us personally, I'll do a press release through our communication team and just let them pick it up. But in the Southern Baptist Convention, if you could, if you could silence 12 people on social media and 12 preachers who have big egos and think they can speak for everybody, you, you wouldn't hear much at all. But you keep in mind, we cooperate together to do missions and we create spiritual synergy mission synergy and the impact we have in church planning with the children's home with the foundation international missions is off the charts it's unbelievable it's greater than you can ever imagine every day the stuff that i get to hear is overwhelming it's so good and the spiritual impact and what god is doing but you're a part of that you're a partner in that and i want to thank you for that and uh, so these are great times to be doing what we do. Well, I know that as a church, you're in a time of God's blessing. So uh, won't today we just celebrate God's blessing? Can we do that? Are you a church that you got to feel bad and beat up every time you go home? Or can every now and then we celebrate? You know, some places I go, they say, Brother Sonny, if you didn't beat me up, I hadn't felt like I've been to church. I don't want to go to church like that, I just tell you. And I have to be encouraged and challenged and sometimes pretty strongly. But sometimes you just need to stop and celebrate. So my prayer has been, God, how, how would I help First Baptist Church, Danville, just celebrate who you are and what you've done for us? So I don't know if I can do that today or not, but I'm going to try. 
And my goal is you to walk out of here today and say, gosh, I'm thankful for what God has done for me and how great he is. If you're not saved, I hope you decide to run to him like, man, I want, I want what I saw, I saw on the sign, I want some of that. You know, that's exactly what I want in my life spiritually. And if our heart is cold, then I hope it makes us want to warm our heart. Today we're going to talk about grace. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 1. Please turn Ephesians chapter 1. Also great to see Josh Bell. Uh, he was raised in the same town I was raised. I knew his parents real well. They're just incredible folks. And uh, everybody in Arkadelphia is proud of Josh. So I'm glad that he's here. Ephesians chapter 1. Now keep in mind when Paul wrote his letters, he really did two things. He had two parts, two divisions, not necessarily half and half content, but he had two things. First thing he did, in almost all his letters, he talked about how great God is and what God's done for us. Then the second half was now, because God is so great and he's done so much for us, this is how we ought to respond. So he starts off with the church at Ephesus, and he's like, all right, I'm going to lay it on you the best I can for the first section of this book. And I want you to understand and remember how great God is, how much he's loved you, what he's done for you. And he gives some incredible truths. Actually, the first time I taught through this, and I hadn't preached this sermon in a long time that I remember. But the first time I taught through this as a pastor, I think I spent 10 weeks on the verses that I'm going to cover today. So I'm not going to keep it that long. I know there's food in the back, and I'm a little bit hungry. So, uh, so I don't want to go too long, but I do want to do justice to it. Ephesians chapter 1, if you would stand, let's read the first few verses of uh, this letter. Let's start with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, and accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Father, speak in these moments in a powerful way through your word, through your spirit, to our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In this passage, I see one word that pops up three times. That's the word grace. So look at what he says in verse 2. He says grace. Verse 6, he says glorious grace. And then he says in verse 7 and 8, grace that he made to abound toward us. My translation says grace that he lavished on us. So obviously grace is one of the themes of this passage. Grace. Grace. We talk about grace. We sing about grace. We teach about grace. We name people, name daughters grace. And it's just almost a common word for us. But sometimes things can be used so much we lose the impact and the power of the word. So let's break it down. What does grace mean? Grace in its most basic form means favor. Just favor. So we could say favor instead of grace. So look at this. Verse 2, favor. Verse 6, glorious favor. 
in verse 7 and 8, favor that he lavished on us, because that's what grace means. Favor. Favor. In salvation, it means something that he gave us out of his love and favor to us that we didn't earn, that comes from him, not from us. When it comes to our general life, it means favor. So here's what you need to understand. The moment you place your faith in Christ as Savior, God wrapped his arms of favor around you. And he locked his hands, and those hands of favor and arms of favor never go away if you're a child. I worked on a farm in Clark County when I was a kid. We always had a cattle farm, but I worked for a bean and rice farmer two or three years. And one of the old farm hands had a favorite song he sang all the time. I don't know if it's a real song or not. Maybe it's a country song that he changed up. I, I don't know. But here was a song. God's going to get you for that. God's going to get you for that. Told you 100,000 times before, God's going to get you for that. And that's kind of a scary song, you know. And I remember thinking as a teenager, you know, that's pretty scary. Now, a lot of folks, that's how they feel about God. God's always out. He's going to get you. I'm not trying to minimize sin and mistakes, okay? But you'd have to understand something. When, what, what Paul is doing to the church at Ephesus before he gives them a real gut-punch challenge on how I want you to respond, he's trying to grab their heart. He's trying to grab their heart. He's trying to produce deep appreciation and deep thanks and a deep emotional response in their heart for how great God is and how much he loves them. And understanding when they got saved, he wrapped his arms of favor around them in every part of their life, every day, every area of their life, on the good day and the bad day, they're covered and surrounded by God's favor. You need to understand that the best Christian in this room today is totally and completely covered and wrapped up in God's favor. But you also have to understand that the worst, most struggling Christian in this room is also wrapped and covered and enshrouded in God's favor because that's just how he treats his children. So let me give you some evidence. Let me just talk about the favor. First, he says favor, verse 2, glorious favor. And then 7 and 8, favor that he lavished on us. What does lavish mean? Lavish means a huge amount. Lavish means a large quantity. Lavish means a bunch. Lavish means a lot. Lavish means a heap. Lavish means a pile. I eat cardboard-tasting food all the time. The doctor says if you like the food you eat, Tucker, then you shouldn't be eating it. So that's pretty much our deal with a doctor. But every now and then I blow it. Usually during the hunting season, I blow it. And uh, when I blow it, I want greasy eggs, fried or scrambled, as long as they're greasy, cooked in bacon grease. I want real bacon. Yesterday at Cracker Barrel, I had turkey sausage. Is that real sausage? I mean, really? Can you even say that sausage? I had turkey sausage. Grandkids had bacon, real bacon. I didn't get to have real bacon. They passed a big plate of biscuits. I didn't eat any biscuits, and I didn't eat any gravy. But when I blow it, I want real greasy eggs cooked in bacon grease, and I want real bacon and real 
sausage and I want big biscuits and I want real gravy and I don't want you to put a teaspoon of gravy on my biscuit. I don't want you to put a tablespoon of gravy on my biscuit. I want you to take the big bent handled ladle and I want you to heap and pile the gravy on my biscuits. Am I getting to you folks at First Baptist Church Danville? The image that God puts on lavish is when he gave you his favor, he didn't give you a teaspoon full of his favor. And he didn't give you a tablespoon full of his gravy, favor. He took a great big bent-handled spiritual ladle and he heaped and piled his favor on you. That's the image that he says in his word. Now, let me give you some evidences. Let's move quick. I'm hungry and I don't want to take long, but I have to cover some stuff. Verse 3, here's some evidences of his favor. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing of Christ. So number one, he blessed us in the heavenly realms. That means in spiritual ways. Sometimes that's physical, sometimes not. Sometimes that's financial, sometimes not. But always in the spiritual realms, he blessed us, he says, with every spiritual blessing. So it, it, most of these words in this passage are picture words, image words. And when he used these phrases, the folks in Ephesus understood the picture that he's using. So here's the picture here. When I, when I registered for college, uh, I got in line, and I'm, just, I'm just, uh, just a number. And they walk up, and they give me a student ID number. Then I walk over here, and I get a dorm room assignment. And then I walk over here, and I get some kind of an orientation packet, and I get a financial advisor. And I remember looking at my student ID number, and I, I'm, I remember thinking, I know it's going to be BR549. I just know that's going to be my number. Some of you young folks don't know what that means. But anyway, but it wasn't. And so we, they give me a package, and I'm supposed to have everything that I need to get through college in this orientation, orientation packet. When you got saved, what God did, he took this spiritual box. And everything that you're ever going to need to get by spiritually put in a box. And he didn't hold anything back. Now, you and I spend our life figuring out what's in the box and how to use it. For example, spiritual gifts. Sometimes you don't find out what spiritual gift or diversity of spiritual gifts you have until you need to use them. Sometimes you don't know the extent of what God has done in your life until you use it. But everything you need is in the box. I went to see a lady one time, and she's a senior adult lady, and everything's always terrible. Y'all remember, uh, I hadn't thought about this a long time until the other day. We were talking about old cartoons. Y'all remember Deputy Dog cartooning? Y'all remember Lynx the Jinx? Everywhere Lynx the Jinx went, there was a black cloud on it. It was raining. <laughs> so do you know people like that? Don't say amen because they may be here. All right. But you know people like, well, that's the way she was. She's like Lynx the Jinx. So she told me, she said, Brother Sonny, I'm just not going to make it. I'm telling you, I'm just not going to make it. No, you really are. Well, how do you know? You hadn't been through what I've been through. He says you're going to make it. He says that when you got saved, he gave you a box. And you spend the rest of your life using and learning to use what's in the box. And he didn't hold anything back. Are you a senior adult lady like she was? You're all alone. How are you going to make it? It's in the box. Got a bad report from the doctor? How are you going to make it? It's in the box. You have to make a big decision in life, and it's the biggest decision you ever make. Where do I get the wisdom for that? It's in the box. I've got to make this decision. I've got stuff coming at me. Lord, we've got challenges. What are we going to do? It's in the box. 
Do you understand when you got saved, he gave you this box. He didn't hold anything back from you. He blessed you with all spiritual blessings, everything you need possibly at any time in your life. And the box is full that it never runs out. <laughs> Isn't that good stuff? Blessed with every spiritual blessing in the spiritual realms. Verse 4, he says he chose us in him before the creation of the world. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. There's a lot of debate about Reformed theology and predestination. And we have a lot more guys that are showing up on the scene that are strongly Reformed. That's their big doctrine. That's all they want to talk about is Reformed theology and Calvinism. It's even to the point that a lot of them feel like that a lot of babies don't even go to heaven when they die because if they weren't the elected babies, they didn't get to go. I disagree with that. I'm not Reformed. I don't know where your wonderful pastor stands and where he stands is his business and it's your business, but I'm more of traditionalist. But I will tell you this. This says that God does work in choosing. So it doesn't undermine free will. In fact, I don't even know how it works together. Here's amazing how God works. This is what I see. He gave us a free will, and we're responsible for our decisions because we have a free will. He is not limited by time and space. He knows what's going to happen. He can act on it to make sure his will is accomplished. Isn't that amazing? Now, you want me to get any deeper than that, then you ask Daniel because he can explain all that to you. <laughs> I don't understand all that. By the way, every now and then I'll say something about this. Some young guy in ministry come and say, Brother Sonny, if you just read this little book, this will explain this to you. And there's what I, sometimes I just smile. Sometimes I say, if I hadn't much sleep and I'm cranky, I say, you know what the PhD after my name means? It means I've read three or four books this big on the subject. And I hadn't read anybody that understands this because this is big and as deep as God. It is beyond human comprehension how free will and God making sure his will takes place. I can accept it, and I don't have to go any farther than that. But don't miss the real bottom line truth of why he brought this out. He didn't bring this out to discourage us to say we don't have a free will. He didn't bring this out to make us fuss with each other. He brought this out because it's one of the great blessings of his favor. And here's what that means. It means because he knows us and he chose us, the bottom line doctrine of this means we are safe. We, the, the foreknowledge, election, predestination trio means you're safe, you're secure, God's blessed you, and you're going to make it. <laughs> and you can rejoice at that. That's exactly what it's meant to say. You don't have to agree with me on it. It's just my time to preach, and it's not your time. So I understand if you're different on that. But wherever we stand on this, don't miss the bottom line. It's meant to say, this doctrine teaches you're safe and you're secure, and you're in God's hands, and he's going to take care of you. Good enough. Third thing he says, that's a great evidence of his favor. Verse 7, we have redemption through his blood. Redemption through his blood. The word redeem means to buy or purchase, and it's a picture word. Here's the picture. Picture is we're a slave to the kingdom of darkness. Because we're a slave, we have no rights, we have no money. We can't earn our way out, we can't buy our way out, we can't work our way out. Lock, stock, and barrel, we're a slave in the kingdom of darkness. Slavery is always a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. I don't understand the mindset of slavery. 
I despise slavery. I despise human trafficking. I don't understand that. But this was a fact in their day, and so they understood this picture. They would have in the marketplace or the town square, sometimes called the city gate, they would have a platform, and they would have political speeches and shows, but they also put slaves on the platform, and they would sell the slaves. So the picture is we're a slave. We're on the platform. We're up for sale. And Jesus walks up and says, uh, I see two guys. I see three guys. I see Tucker and Josh and Daniel. I want to buy Tucker and Josh and Daniel. No, you can't afford them. What do you mean I can't afford them? They're going to cost you everything you have. All right, I'll pay everything I have. So Jesus, by his blood, by his sacrifice, by his death, he bought Tucker and Daniel and Josh. The greatest payment that's ever been made was Jesus' death for my sin. And he walked them and he bought me from the kingdom of darkness and placed me as a free person in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of his son. Isn't that a great picture, folks? They knew what this meant. So get this. You've been bought with the highest price ever paid. You want to know how valuable you are to God? He bought you with the highest price possible. You don't understand, brother son, I'm so far away from God, he's given up on me. No! You were bought with the highest price possible. I don't think I matter to anybody. I don't think I matter to God. Wrong! He paid the highest price possible for you and bought you and then set you free in the kingdom of light. Isn't that great? But he didn't just set us free. Now we don't have a family. We don't have shoes. We don't have a bed. We don't have a home. Notice what he did next. Verse 5, he adopted us as his children's. He brought us into his family just like we were blood-born into his family because he didn't want us to be without a family. When I was a student at Watchtop, one of our pastor buddy, preacher buddies had a dad from down around Corpus Christi that was preaching a a revival a little bit south of here. I was working that night, and I didn't get to go, but some of the guys went to hear him preach. And a guy got up and told about his family. He said, you know, I'm married and been married this many years, and I've served these churches. He said, I got five kids. And he said, by the way, one of my kids is uh, adopted. But he said, man, I can't remember which one it is. You know why he said that? Because he loved them all the same. It was actually our friend, our mutual friend, that was a ministry student at OBU at that time. I don't remember which one it is. You think you don't count very much to God? Uh, you got a brother, by the way. I don't know if you've ever heard your brother's name. You know this name, Billy Graham? Y'all know that name? Anybody heard of Billy Graham? He's always done so much more for God than I ever will. I agree with that. Billy Graham is no more God's child than you are. Billy Graham was no more loved and no more had to be bought by the blood of Jesus than you. Don't you dare walk away today and say that I don't count. He bought you. He set you free from slavery and sin. And he adopted you into his family just like all the other kids. So the worst Christian in this room and the greatest Christian in this room today, you're the same. You're locked up in God's arms of favor and you're deeply, dearly loved. You've been adopted into his family. Everybody is the same. 
So the next thing he says after that, last thing in this passage, he says, we have the forgiveness of sins. This is in verse 7. We said to him, we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. Our sin's been forgiven. What does that mean? It means in God's eyes, your sin has been forgiven and has been forgotten. We say sometimes, uh, you got to forgive and forget. And I used to say that. I don't say that anymore because I've talked to so many folks that have been wounded and traumatized and they can't forget. So we don't have the ability to forget deep, deep scars. Sometimes our mind pushes it back in the subconscious. But we don't, Christian counselors say that's the wrong thing to say, forgive and forget. They say the proper thing to say is forgive and remember redemptively. It's called redemptive remembering. I remember in a forgiving way. So that's how we work with scars and stains and when we're wronged. But God doesn't have that problem. It says twice in Hebrews, their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. See, some of you are walking around still asking forgiveness for stuff you did years ago because it was wrong and it hurt your soul and maybe it hurt somebody else and you bring this up to God and God's like, what? What are you talking about? I don't know what you're saying. He has the ability to forgive sins. He says, I bury their sins in the deepest sea. We know now that in the deepest sea, there's no buoyancy. In other words, when you take stuff to the bottom of the deepest sea, it never comes back up. I don't think the writers of the Bible knew that, but they were inspired by God's Holy Spirit to say that. He says, oh, I forgive your sins as far as the east is from the west. I don't know exactly what all that means, but I do know this. If he would have said, I forgive your sins as far as the north and south, you can't go north indefinitely because you go north so far, you tip over the top and you start going south. And then you start going south far enough, you tip on the bottom, you start going north. But if you go east, that's west. If you go west... You go, I don't know which way this is. Let's say this is west. You start going west. You can circle the globe a thousand times and you're still going west. And let's say this is east. You go east, you can circle the globe a thousand times. You're still going east because east and west go indefinitely. You know what he says? I've removed your sin. So here's what I meet folks doing all the time, especially when I was a pastor. There's a big pile of rocks, spiritual rocks, Duct taped and tied up, wrapped up, almost too much for any one person to bear. And on that big rock, it says, sin, forgiven by God and forgotten by God. And we tie a rope around it. We spend all our life dragging this pile of sin behind us. That God's already forgiven. He's forgotten. We can't leap for joy. We can't serve him because you're dragging the mistakes. Forgive yourself and move on. If you need to make it right, go back and make it right. If you need wisdom, talk to your incredibly wise pastor. He will give you wisdom on how to go back and make it right. But by all means, move on. And if you're around folks all the time that keep bringing up the fast and they won't let you get away from it, you need to find some new friends. He forgave and he forgot. Favor, favor, lavish with favor. We have time for one more verse and one more illustration. John chapter 1. You don't have to turn. You can listen. I just want to read this. This is a great, great verse on favor. John 1.16. Listen to this. From the fullness of his grace or favor. From how much the fullness. How much fullness. It's like you can't imagine how much. From the fullness of his favor. We have all received one blessing after another. That means one blessing replacing another blessing. It's like one blessing comes in. 
And one is used up, another blessing of favor comes in. And one is used up, another blessing of favor comes in. And one is used up, another blessing of favor comes in. And one is used up, another blessing of favor comes in. And never-ending waves. It's like waves of favor. Like waves on the seashore. When my wife and I were married, about three years into marriage, we got to take our first real vacation, and we went to the beach. And uh, almost a tradition I wish we hadn't started, to be honest. But anyway, we're locked into that beach mode. Well, we went to Pensacola. We found the cheapest place we could find on Pensacola Beach, the Five Flags Inn. Concrete block building, one story. Uh, Doormats were paper. Bath mats were paper. The washcloths were so thin I could read the Sunday paper through the washcloths. But, folks, we were on the beach. And you walk out of the motel room and you got a, a, a pool with palm trees and Hawaiian music playing, and you step right off the, the pad of the pool and you're right on the beach. And it was pretty incredible. First time I'd ever seen that. I was amazed that the waves came in all the time. I... I didn't tell people this for a long time because it shows, I don't know what it shows. It shows something worse than I want to tell you, but I just didn't know waves came in at the beach all the time. And I remember thinking, I grew up on Lake DeGray. I grew up on the Ouachita River. You have waves when there's wind blowing and when boats go by. But there was no wind at times and no boats and there were waves coming in. I didn't understand it. So, I asked the girl at the front desk, I said, do the waves come in all the time? She said, she said, you mean the brickers? I said, the brickers? And she, what are you saying, the brickers? She said, you're from the real south. Breakers, B-R-E-A-K-E-R-S, the breakers. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. And she's like, you stupid idiot. I didn't believe her. I got it in the middle of the night just to listen if I could hear the waves. Sure enough, they come in. A wave comes in, psh, and it recedes. A wave comes in, psh, and it recedes. Another wave comes in, psh, and it recedes. Another wave comes in, psh, and it recedes. Another wave comes in, psh, and it recedes. Never ending, it never stops. This is a picture, he says, of God's favor in our life. One wave of favor. And then it's receded, and you receded and used up another wave of favor. And when it's receded and used up another wave of favor. And when it's receded and used up another wave of favor. Never-ending waves. So you come to God and you say, God, I've got the biggest decision in my life, and I don't know what to do. Lord, you've got to help me. This is over my head. God, I'm at wit's end. I have no understanding what to do if you don't help me. God has got bad news from the doctor. I have no idea what I'm going to do, Lord. I never expected this for my health, Lord. I'm at wit's end. If you don't help me, God, if you Lord, it's my grandfather. Lord, it's my grandmother. I have no idea. Lord, if I lose my grandmother and my grandfather, Lord, if I lose my parents, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. Lord, this, I'm at wit's end. I don't know what to do. Lord, if you don't help me, Lord, it's my child. Lord, it's my grandchild. Lord, it's my job. Lord, it's my best friend. Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, I've never hurt this bad. Lord, I don't understand. Lord, if you don't, Lord, I have nothing in me left. I'm out of gas. I'm out of octane. I've got nothing. Lord, if you don't help me, Lord, it's my darkest night. Lord, I've never been in a night this dark. Lord, it's 12 o'clock and I can't go to sleep. Lord, if you don't help me, Lord, it's 2 o'clock. I'm still not asleep. Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. Lord, what, what do I, Lord, if you don't help me, 
Lord, it's 6 o'clock. I've got to get up. I had not slept all night. Lord, I've got to face the day. Lord, I've got to be strong. Lord, I've got to know what to say. Lord, if you don't help me, Never ending ways of favor. Because when you looked up and you said, Jesus save me, what he did, he reached up and he grabbed you in arms of favor. He locked his hands. He's never ever going to let go on your good days or your bad days. And one day you'll get to heaven, you know what favor is every minute of every day. I don't know what it takes to make you celebrate how good God is and how much he loves you. But I hope today we'll leave here saying, thank you, Jesus, because you're really incredible. You've done a whole lot for me. Thank you. Would you stand to your feet?